Our featured accredited charity seal holder organizations for today's podcast are the Humane Society International, Land Trust Alliance, and USO. To find out more about these organizations and other BBB Wise Giving Alliance accredited charities, go to give.org. You're listening to the Heart of Giving podcast with Art Taylor, powered by BBBgive.org. Here, we explore the motivations that form the basis of giving and service. We inspire generosity and celebrate the transformative effects that giving and service have on the human spirit and on community. The conversations featured on the podcast also uncover giving strategies that educate and provide tools to help listeners make impactful gifts of both their time and money. We hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to the Heart of Giving podcast, powered by BBBgive.org. Give.org is the nation's standards-based charity evaluator, and it's your one-stop source for information on giving and reports on the most asked about charities. I'm Art Taylor. We're going to kick off this podcast episode as being the last in a series of three on a new book co-authored by my friend Bob Johansson, and the book is called Office Shock. And if you've listened to the previous two episodes, I'm sure you've gotten a lot of information about what the book is all about. But this particular episode will focus on some of the architectural aspects of office shock. That is, how do how do architects actually think about offices of the future? And to talk with me about this today is the co-author, one of the three co-authors, Dr. Joseph Press. And Dr. Press is a co-founder of Make Our Future, which is a global consulting cooperative helping organizations transition to more sustainable futures. So we're going to get right into this with Joseph. Joseph, first of all, let me ask you why it was so important for you to co-author Office Shock at this particular moment in time. So in relation to why Office Shock now, why is this different than some of the changes that have happened over the past 50 years in regard to the office? What's unique now? Why is it so important now? And I, I believe what we came across is a couple of very important catalysts that we're hoping are going to turn office shock into opportunities to truly create better futures for working and living. So number one is we have all gone through some kind of a shock in the last two and a half years. We did begin writing with that initial shock of the pandemic, the initial shock of all of a sudden having to be at home office, the shutdowns, that for many of us were actually very positive because we didn't have to travel. But for many others who didn't have a home office, it was really a challenge. And 
beginning with this shock, the good news is, is that many organizations that uh, we've been speaking about office shock with, they come back and say, hey, you know, that shock a couple of years ago, well, we've actually put into place a new workplace policy, which addresses the question for all of our employees, do we have to be in the office or can we stay in the home office? And many of those uh, workplace policies address the question, is it two days a week in the office or three days a week in the office or vice versa? And what we're saying now is, yes, that definitely addresses the shock of where do we work and when do we work? However, in the book, we talk about many other shocks, many other shocks that are related to social change. So, for example, Black Lives Matter or Me Too that are also related to economic shocks. For example, the 99% movement for seeing how many organizations you know, were losing staff because they just did not want to work in unequal situations, particularly in the gig economy, where we're seeing much more exploitation. We're also seeing the shocks of war. I live in Europe and the shock of energy crisis, particularly access to heat during this winter, natural gas, which had been supplied by Russia for many years. All of a sudden, the taps being turned off. That's another shock. We don't know how that's going to continue playing out as Europe gains more uh, energy independence. There's also the potential shocks of what's happening in the semiconductor industry. Although the United States has made significant investments in the last uh, two, three years, particularly in the space of building semiconductor plants, and Joe Biden, the president, was actually in Cleveland not too long ago to inaugurate the new Intel plant. Well, that is still going to play out in the geopolitical sphere when we see potential tensions between the United States and China over Taiwan. So we are going to see many more shocks coming. So Joseph, what does that suggest about the future? You listed numerous important events and consequences happening right now, but it doesn't end there, does it? As my co-author Bob Johansson likes to say, we are in a VUCA world and the VUCA world is only going to get more VUCA. It's going to get more volatile. It's going to get more unclear. It's going to get even more complex and it's going to continue to be very ambiguous. So wonderful that many organizations have a workplace policy. However, the shocks are going to continue. And therefore, we see office shock, office shock as the culmination of all of the shocks that have been happening, including the biggest one of all, climate change. No one knows how climate change is going to evolve in the next few years. And this is fundamental, particularly as we get closer to 2030, and we realize more and more that we're most likely going to be off of our ambitions to keep temperature rising less than 1.5 centigrade degrees by 2030. So all of these shocks are a good opportunity to begin thinking not just about the workplace, is it two days a week or three days a week, but really to think more holistically 
about the changes offices and officing should consider in order for us to create a better future, a better future with more shared purpose, a future with more shared outcomes and more prosperity, a future with less climate impact, ideally, and more belonging, where people feel connected, where they feel that shared purpose. They are able to share in the prosperity or the economic benefits that are so much an important part of our shareholder capitalism. So ideally moving to stakeholder capitalism. So augmentation is one of the spectrums you talk about in the book. What part does technology play in that? All of this is going to be enabled by technology, as we are seeing now with ChatGPT. It is augmenting work across all domains. I do a lot of research and writing, and I have to say in the last couple of weeks and months, the conversations with ChatGPT have been fabulous. As a creative designer, I have been enjoying using Dolly 2 and other AI art generation programs to be able to augment my creativity. And as I do a lot of digital or transformational work, the AI art generation has been a powerful way to augment the engagement, not just the creative capabilities, but the engagement of leaders at all levels in organizations to begin thinking differently about the future, to illustrate and visualize that future in a way that enables people to have those conversations, sometimes challenging conversations, but important conversations to be able to make the choices for a journey to a better future. So there are many, many reasons why we are all excited about Office Shock today as being different than, for example, when I was working as an architect 20 years ago, the hope that we may get people to think differently and to act differently by getting them to co-create their workspaces. What we see now as a result of Office Shock is that there is a shared understanding of the importance of changing, importance of changing business models, importance of trying to think about how to create communities with more shared purpose and more shared outcomes and with more belonging. If we don't work together, we will not be able to face the challenges that are confronting communities across the globe and the global community as a whole. So those are, I think, a number of reasons why myself, Bob, and Chris are really excited and even optimistic about the potential of Office Shock to create a better future for working and living. Now, there's a really important point that has come up as the book has been launched and as we're having more conversations with leaders in organizations, for-profit, non-profit, across the globe. And this is really, I believe, at the heart of Office Shock. Office Shock is all about the personal transformation that has to happen 
Great point. That's a really good point. But what do you mean by personal transformation? In order for organizations to consider some of these changes, and certainly for communities to start functioning in a more positive, empathetic way in order to move forward towards collective action. And we believe that those individual choices about what office shock means for me as an individual, how might I have more shared purpose? How might I be able to be more intentional about the business outcomes that I have? How might I engage with people who are different? How might my carbon footprint look differently? How might technology give me the opportunity to do more of the things that I'm passionate about that I might not have had the time to do when I was busy in those processes and those organizations, just fulfilling activities. And we're really excited about how Office Shock is opening opportunities for individuals to think differently, to think outside of their neurological or cognitive biases, which have driven many of us, many of us, into the biases and the boundaries that have, in many ways, contributed to the challenges that we face. And I believe this is really important. Now, we talk a bit about things like collective trauma. And we're seeing, you know, in the United States and other parts of the world, the role that collective trauma has on individual choices. And we saw that this week in Memphis. You know, those individual choices in those challenging circumstances, those are the kinds of reflections that we're hoping Office Shock is going to get us to think differently about. And if we're able to think differently about who we are, the social identities, the collective traumas that we've inherited, to be able to also be more aware of the neuroscience, how we are influenced by external triggers and how it influences the choices that we make, then ideally we are, again, as individuals, going to be able to contribute to enabling our organizations and our communities to have the opportunity to make an impact and ideally co-create better futures for working and living. So those are a couple of the really important elements we believe that do go beyond the workplace. They do go beyond the physical environment. And they go beyond some of the common biases that we are all aware of, which are only accentuated in the organizations that we work in, in the communities that we live in, and the past histories and identities that we have as individuals. So even though your book is entitled Office Shock, it sounds like you, Bob, and Christine are taking your paradigm far beyond just the workspace. So we are hoping that Office Shock is not going to be taken as, hey, this is just about the workplace. And we, as leaders, have already taken care of that workplace conundrum. No, it's much more than that. It's broader than that. Our seven spectrums of office shock 
ideally are an invitation to think systemically, to think holistically about seven very important levers or catalysts of change. Now, in many organizations and in many individuals' uh, situations and in communities, seven spectrums of office shock is probably going to be too much. So that's where you can make choices about focusing on certain spectrums, spectrums that you believe you have more agency over, that you have more influence, that you have the ability to make choices in those spectrums. And ideally, you'll be able to bring in two or three other like-minded individuals that have agency over the other spectrums, that have some expertise or interest or passion about influencing those spectrums in a way that will contribute to mobilizing people for collective action. For many of us who have been in the uh, transformation space, we know that it's not about technology. It's not about good ideas and innovation. It really comes down to people. And people are going to be mobilized by a shared vision And the good news is that Futures opens up opportunities to get out of the biases of present forward thinking and open up opportunities to think future back in a safe place. And the safe place is the future. It's not science fiction where we go 20 years out because that is easily assumed to be too far-fetched not realistic, but it's also not in that space of three, four, five years out, those operational plans uh, where people will fall into their organizational identities or their individual identities, what we refer to in the book, yourselves. We want you to get out of those and getting out of those by thinking future back, by thinking about yourself, your future self as an individual your future self in your organizational role, and your future self in your community as a citizen. Those are the future selves that are going to be critical to think future back, maintaining a full spectrum mindset. So not being categorical about the choices, but being open-minded and looking at the range of choices in these spectrums to be able to mobilize yourself and others towards co-creating better futures of working and living. I'm curious how you compare Office Shock to many other business books currently in the marketplace. Now, if we take a step back of all of those topics and all of the wonderful pieces of thought leadership, the books that are out there, uh, and as a as a recovering consultant, <laughs> I'd like to say that I've read many of them, and they usually have a common theme where there's a framework, there's examples that illustrate why the framework is right, and then there's some recommendations about how you can apply the framework. Now, we do have a framework because, but as humble futurists, We like to think future back, but we are also encouraging conversations. 
And if there's one thing that I think all of us are really proud about in the book is providing a methodology, this future back methodology, what future, what next, what now, encouraging us to have a full spectrum mindset, not getting caught into categories, not coming up with immediate solutions, but, but being open-minded to the range of, of choices that are out there to encourage conversation. Conversation is essential for us to be able to co-create a better future. Conversation is essential for us to be able to have those challenging conversations, which may be a bit conflictual. We refer to something very important called creative friction. And this is really important because it is the only place for us to learn. That sounds intriguing. Why is creative friction important? Learning should have some elements of discomfort. It shouldn't feel good all the time to sit in class. You need to have some confrontation because that's where we can trigger the neuroplasticity. And our emphasis on conversations in Office Shock really comes strongly in part three, What Now? And this is where Christine Bullen, my co-author, her expertise in critical success factors came in to a really important place in the writing of the book. Because again, we didn't want to write a typical business book. We wanted to write a book that was going to be a catalyst for conversation, a catalyst for internal conversations with your future self, for organizational conversations with your organizational self, and community conversations. Communities are the places where we are consuming at a larger scale, where we're having an impact on the planet at a larger scale. Uh, this is where I believe Aftershock and our really focus on triggering conversations is important. Now, everyone has to be aware that transformation, particularly when we talk about transformation going from a collective trauma to a shared dream, going from climate impact to planetary health, these are conversations that are generational. They are not going to happen in the next five, six years. They are not going to happen, I believe, in my generation. It's really about setting up the choices and having those conversations so that the next generation can pick up the mantle of transformation. We refer to this as transformation with flexive intent. Flexive intent? What is that? What Bob Johansson always refers to as being very intentional about where we want to go, having clarity of that shared future, but being flexible about how we get there. And flexive intent is another very important concept when we look at the transformational journey that we need to go through in order to pivot off a shock into a great opportunity for better futures of working and living. And my research 
before writing Office Shock was in this space of transformation. And we focused on digital transformation because that was kind of top of mind five years ago. Now, the research that we did in a research group called Ideals, Innovation and Design as Leadership, is that transformation change that engages people in a way that empowers and encourages them to make those hard choices. That has to happen in, in three dimensions. All of our change models are usually two-dimensional, but the ideals model that we refer to in chapter 10 in the book is three-dimensional because transformation is complex. It's not about making something happen and then seeing the result. No, it's really about scaffolding change. Uh, that's another great piece of imagery, scaffolding change. Can you go into a little more detail on that? So this three-dimensional model uh, that's in the book is all about scaffolding change. And scaffolding change really starts by being very, very intentional about some important choices to trigger the transformation journey. It has to start with a why. That is essential, and that why has to have some shared purpose to make the world a better place. It also then has to address the what. What are we going to change? What does that future actually look like? Then you have to be very intentional about who are you going to be engaging with and when are you going to engage with them. That's the people side, the leadership side of this three-dimensional scaffold. And then incredibly important is having a very clear understanding of how are you going to engage those people. Will you use co-creation? Will you use design as a way to really co-create those more meaningful experiences? Or will it be more top-down or telling people what's happening. So again, we're setting up a framework so the choices that are made will help inform what are the ways to scaffold change, to scaffold this transformational journey, which is going to be something that is going to cross generations. So that's another, I think, very important difference in the way that we position Officeshock than other business books. It's holistic. It's ancestral. It is always going to be about thinking and building upon a more collective consciousness, which again, we believe is coming to a crossroads. If 20 years ago, everyone knew about the importance of planetary health. Well, ideally, now there is much more evidence-based facts for encouraging people to think differently about the planet, but there's also more evidence of the systemic injustices that are influencing those climate impacts, the economic inequalities in addition. So there are a number of factors that we hope are converging in 2023 to be able to encourage everyone to see that we all have agency, we all have the ability to contribute 
to the changes that we need to make. And Office Shock, if I summarize, Office Shock does describe all of the external shocks that have been happening in the last two, three years. It's the culmination of these shocks. That's what Office Shock is all about. However, I want to emphasize that we do see shocks happening within people, within these organizations, and within communities, which ideally are encouraging us all to work together to create better futures for the planet and all of humanity. Well, Joseph, I want to thank you for your time and for joining us on this episode of the Heart of Giving podcast. And to all of our listeners, I want to thank you also for tuning in and listening. And if this happens to be the first time that you've heard one of our episodes, you can find many more of them by subscribing to the show. We would really appreciate it if you would subscribe to the show. And also give a review. Reviews help us extend the audience as well. And I also hope that if you care to, uh, we would appreciate it if, you, if you'd make a donation to the Heart of Giving podcast by going to give.org. That's give.org. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. You've just listened to the Heart of Giving podcast with Art Taylor. Be sure to tune in next time for a brand new episode. To listen to our other interviews, visit heartgiving.podbean.com. That's heartgiving.podbean.com. Subscribe to our show on major podcast platforms. The thoughts and opinions expressed on this podcast are the views and opinions of the guests, not those of the BBB Wise Giving Alliance or program affiliates. This podcast is for information and educational purposes only and is copyrighted with all rights reserved. This podcast is protected by Podbean's Terms of Service.